Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, or tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at wholeheartedeatingpod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com. I'm really excited to talk to you because one, I love your clothes. I think they're incredibly soft, comfortable, and they're also like really well made and luxurious and like all like the fine details and like the all the things so I love them so I just wanted to point that out but people don't know who we're talking to yet so today we have Denise Lee on the podcast today and she is the founder and owner of Alala a brand a sportswear like athleisure kind of like all things comfy size inclusive brand and we are so excited to have you on. We also love, love, love your clothes. And we'd love for you to start off with talking to us about the origin of you starting this clothing company and why you chose to make it size inclusive. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you guys. Um, so Alala, we are nine years old. And so we've been around since 2014. It's been a wild journey. Um, But even before starting Alala, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, So they really encouraged me and my siblings to, if we were inclined to pursue, you know, starting our own business. And so since I was like a teenager through college, you know, I always knew that this was an option for me in my career. Um, and, you know, a lot of my younger days starting out in my career, like I was just trying to figure out like what the big idea was, you know, I was like, oh, like I want to do something on my own, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. So I always had my eye out for that. Um, growing up, my parents actually, they owned a clothing manufacturing business. And my mom also was an art dealer. So she, you know, taught us a lot about art and culture and beauty. And then on my dad's side, I learned more about like the nuts and bolts of like running a clothing business and manufacturing business. And so I think that was like a natural kind of thing for me to gravitate towards the fashion industry, towards the retail industry. So um, after I graduated from college, I started working in the fashion industry here. um, And then I took a break for a couple of years to go back to NYU for business school. And I wanted to do that, again, knowing that, you know, someday I was going to start my own business. I wanted to learn 
more about just business in general, right? Like cover, you know, all the, all the things about business management, accounting, you know, all that stuff. And so business school was a really great opportunity for me to get familiar with some of the other, you know, areas that I wasn't familiar with. And then I had an amazing opportunity after I graduated to work for a billionaire. Um, his name is Chris and he's a retail entrepreneur as well. And so, you know, when I got the opportunity to work for him, I jumped at it. And in the three years that I worked for Chris, um, we would go to China and like see all these factories and I would get like, you know, firsthand experience in seeing how the clothing was made and how he was negotiating with the factories. I went on all his real estate scouting trips to look for, you know, spaces for the stores that he was building. And so working for Chris for three years was kind of like a second business school, <laughs> a crash course in learning the retail business. He also invested in other people's brands at that point. So I learned a lot about, you know, what investors look for when they're looking at people's financial statements, their business plans. Um, and during the time I worked for Chris, I decided I was going to train for a triathlon and do a triathlon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been on my bucket list forever. I don't know like where it came, where it came from, but it was on the list. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So that was 2012 when I was like, okay, I'm training for this triathlon. And because I've had all this experience in like the clothing industry, the fashion industry, I just knew that like going out and buying some new active wear was going to like motivate me to train harder and like make me feel better <laughs> while I was working out. And in, during that time, like, you know, 12, 13, like 10 years ago, like there just wasn't too much out in the market, right? It was like the big brands and that was, that was it. There wasn't a lot of choice. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, my moment where I was like, oh, like, you know, I think there could be like other brands in this space. And I think there could be more of a brand that reflected like my New York style and you reflected my personal style. And so that was kind of the, the seed for Alala. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just grown from there, which is pretty crazy. That's amazing. I mean, it's always so cool to hear an origin story, whether it's like a personal origin story or a business origin story, because I feel like there's always so many different twists and turns that you don't expect. Yeah. We'd also love to know more about where did the name come from? Yeah. So the name Alala is the name of a Greek goddess and it stands for a battle cry. And for me, you know, it just reflects I think all of us women going out there in the world, like, you know, forging our own paths, creating our own destinies. And it's just a very motivating <laughs> and kind of like beautiful image, I think, of what we all want to be as as women. Well, now every time I put on these clothes, I'm going to be like warrior time. <laughs> well, you know, I'm wearing it right now. And I have to say, I feel like I'm sitting up a little bit taller now. Like, there you go. Like, fuck yeah, you're right, Denise. Like, hell, yeah. I am a warrior. Back you're off, a warrior. People. You're a goddess. <laughs> you're all these things. It's like, you know, who doesn't want to feel that way when they put their clothes on in the morning, right? 100%. And I got to tell you, the clothes reflect that. They're like so soft and like... There is that structure. Like they're beautiful. Like they're Thank so you. beautiful. But one of the things like that's awesome that like I never knew that about the name. So I'm so glad we asked you because, you know, I think one of the things that could be so interesting and like 
along the lines with that name and what that represents is the journey of being a female-owned business in such a body-centric industry Mm -hmm. would be (laughs) complicated to say the least. And I think even more so in 2014, starting this off, you know, and trying to change this narrative. And I love how the name really represents that of like what you want women to feel. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about what that journey was like for you. And has Uh, been like for you. I'm sure it's still going on now. So (laughs) yeah, you know, like when we started in 2014, I think that was when athleisure became a word, right? It became this big trend to be wearing your leggings and your sports bras around. And it was also the time of like this, like hardcore fitness studios, right? It was like soul cycle heyday and all this stuff. And I think it's evolved so much now in a better way, I think. But like when we started, it was all about like, you know, like your body, like, da, 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 da. and it was very focused on your physical form and like improving your physical form. And I think, you know, as somebody who doesn't fit into like what I think is like the typical like fitness form, um, it was very interesting for me, I think, as a founder to kind of like be comfortable with that. And part of it was, you know, like I was, it was also like the starting days of Instagram. And so, you know, people were starting to like put themselves out there on Instagram and stuff. And I just had like so many personal hurdles that like I had to get over. And some of them I actually did not get over, like to even like, I wasn't comfortable putting myself out as like the face of a Lala when we started, you know? because I had all my own issues of my own image and self-image that I was trying to work through. And then you layer on this like additional layer of like expectation pressure, you know, like I would go to events and things and I'd be like, oh my God, like, you know, I don't have a six pack like the trainer does. And I'm not like a size zero, like the trainer is like, are people going to look at me as like the founder of this brand and be like, well, I don't want to buy anything from her. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't look like she's super fit or healthy or whatever. And so, um, you know, honestly, I think that like really hurt us in the beginning. And that was all just like my mindset and my, you know, thought process going into this. And so, um, you know, I've been working a lot on that. And I think that's the one thing that maybe people don't talk about so much in entrepreneurship. Like it's not just about growing your business, but it's about growing, yourself as a person as well. Um, and so over the last couple of years, I've really done a lot of work, I think, to like be comfortable, more comfortable, <laughs> not a hundred percent comfortable, but more comfortable about putting myself out there, you know, as part of the brand, as a female founder, like these are as a minority founder, like they're all things that I should have always been proud of. Um, but I think the last couple of years I've really recognized that, you know, those are some of my superpowers and those are things that I should be very very proud of. I think it's hard to lean into that though when the the model and the example and everything is these like skinny little white bitches that are just like, I have abs and therefore if you eat like me and do my workout routine and wear my exact clothes, then you'll look like me kind of thing, you know? And it's interesting because we we're talking about this before when we were, you know, preparing our question and stuff. And we wanted to know, you know, did you feel like there was 
pressure to change your body for the brand or for the industry because there is, and I feel like this is something that's kind of crosses a bunch of different professions is there is this kind of notion of looking the part, you know, or looking Mm -hmm. like your profession, whether you're a personal trainer or you're a nutritionist like we are, or you own a clothing brand or anything like that. There is this, you know, little imposter syndrome, you know, voice or whether it's been said to you at different times of like, oh, well, you don't look like you fit the bill for, you know, mm-hmm. X. So kind of why would I listen to you? You know, people, I feel like I still hear people say occasionally like, oh, well, you know, why would I go to a doctor that looks like they're out of shape, you know? Or like, mm-hmm. why would I go to a nutritionist? Or why would I go to a personal trainer that doesn't look the way that I want to look? When really, when you think about the science behind that, first of all, that doesn't make sense. Second of all, that's extremely <laughs> judgmental. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? You know, but yeah. that, that's a mentality that we can look at now because we've had all of these kind of intervening years of more along the body neutrality, body liberation Mm -hmm. movement. And then, you know, over especially the past more couple of recent years, there's been a lot more of a push in the industry, whether it's real or just for show where a lot more people are like oh we should be supporting women-owned brands and minority-owned brands and you know smaller businesses and everything like that as opposed to just like the massive conglomerates but did you feel like there was pressure to change your body to kind of fit the industry I think you know I think the reality of our society is that your looks and your image matter right um, as much as I think we want to say that they don't, like, I think just subconsciously, even like, you know, things we might not even think about, they do. And so I do think there is, there was a lot of like unspoken pressure that I felt, but I think most of it honestly just came from myself. Right. And it's like your own self image and your own mindset around your self image is like, that was what was holding me back more than I think anything that anybody else could have said or would have said to me. Um, And so I think the answer is very layered, right? There's no like very clear answer on, on how to do this. And I think like different people just have different sensitivities, I think. And, And for us, you know, we're an all female team. We make clothing for women. And so I think what me and my team give into the business is a deep understanding of of these insecurities of how women want to feel want to dress you know and i think when you buy from a female-owned clothing brand like there is just more of an intuitive knowledge of how to design what what we would want to wear versus like i think some you know other brands who may be more like male-led or you know they have male designers designing for women Um, And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, women really love our stuff and not just like the skinny girls, you know, that you were talking about, like all Mm -hmm. kinds of women, they really love our clothing because, you know, we always make sure we offer something with a sleeve. We offer like, you know, tops that aren't cropped. Like we have, we measure our inseams to make sure they're the most flattering for people. We create fabrics and work with mills that, you know, produce fabrics that are just so feel so good on your body. Um, and all those things come, I think from just like all, myself and my team's like intuitive knowledge of being a woman having, you know, our different body issues 
Um, and I think it's a wonderful environment too, because like when we design, you know, we have a very small team, but everybody gets to try on the samples. They get to say like, oh, like, I don't like this length or like, I wish this was a little bit longer because I don't like my stomach or, you know, so it's a, it's a really nice process. I think that we go through to make sure we can deliver like the most beautiful, not only looking, but feeling clothing for and fitting for, for our customers. No, I think in a lot of ways, like what you got, what um, Dana was getting to, too, and, and you talking about going into this industry is I think it's really relatable for a lot of people. I mean, I definitely know that I felt that way when I was starting out in nutrition, like, you know, um, do people like will people work with me if I don't look with what they want mm-hmm. me to look like or what they themselves aspire to look mm-hmm. like? And I think a lot of times people think of clothing that way, too. Like, I want to look like this. So I want whoever's modeling it to look the way that I aspire quote unquote to look like. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, that I think is kind of interesting as well is that like that comes up so much in, I think fashion too, because the thing that kind of like got for me and I imagine it gets for you, I don't want to be a nutritionist for one type of person. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to also say either that there's nothing wrong with being thin, able-bodied person. Totally. I just, just want to put that out there. Like I know we're saying that, but I didn't want to be a nutritionist for just one type of person. And I'm sure you also were thinking of women as a whole and women as a whole are incredibly diverse in Mm -hmm. size and shape and body And I didn't want to be a nutritionist for one type of person. And you probably didn't want to design clothes for one type of woman. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think, you know, we're very thoughtful about like the whole range of needs and bodies. And of course, like, you know, one garment can't serve everybody's needs, right? Especially like talk about sports bras, like, oh my gosh, boobs are so different. (laughs) There's no (laughs) way like one bra is going to be the perfect bra for everybody. And so... (laughs) Oh, don't even get me started on postpartum bras. Like there was yeah. like perfect bra pre-babies and then there was like a perfect bra post Elodie. And then there was like a, I haven't found my perfect bra post Noah yet. It's like, whoa, it's yeah. a whole nother world. And so I think knowing that too, like we evolve, like there's totally. gonna be times when one bra that you sell is going to be the perfect bra for me. And then like six months later, it's like things are different. It's like, oh, wow, no, I actually need this other one now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important to kind of think about that. Like each person needs something different, which is why I think it's awesome to think about that when you're designing clothing. And it it baffles me why it's not more standard. <laughs> yeah. I think we do everything at Alala with a lot of intention. You know, like we don't just design because it looks cute or whatever. Like there is thought that goes behind like a lot of the things like we intentionally make, you know, some of our tennis skirts a little bit longer because not everybody wants to be, you know, in a teeny tiny skirt. Like butts out. again with like, <laughs> exactly. Like I don't, you know, at my age, I think it looks cute on somebody else. But like personally, that's not like what I would want to wear. And so, yeah, we take into account a lot of that stuff. Um, and, you know, we also like to get a lot of customer feedback. So, you know, hearing from our customers and our clients, like what is working, what they're excited about, like really helps us drive our product development forward as well. Um, Because at the end of the day, like it's all about her, it's all about our customer and, you know, 
fitting into what she needs for her lifestyle. Um, and I just also wanted to touch on, you know, the inclusive sizing that we introduced. So we introduced that a little bit later in our um, company life. That was, I think, 2018 or 19. And we spent almost two years kind of like talking to women who were plus sized and, you know, just understanding their needs um, and what they were looking for from their active wear instead of just like diving in and just doing what, what, you know, we thought was the right thing to do. Um, and so it was a, also a very thoughtful exercise that we went through for a long time before we launched inclusive sizing, just because I think, again, like understanding what your customer needs and wants is so important, uh, especially when they're putting the stuff on their body. And so, uh, you know, we went through a very thoughtful process while, while developing that line. One thing that I really like and enjoy about that specific part of Alala is when you go in the website and you're shopping for different things, you all have different models based on mm -hmm. the size that you're showing, which like what shopping online can be so hard because <laughs> it's just like, well, sure, like that looks good on that model, but that's why they picked them, you know, and, and then you're mm -hmm. like, well, how do I, you know, compare to this in terms of like how tall I am, what my regular size is, you know, all of these different things. And so that was so helpful in choosing what size should I wear, you know, because it's like, here's, you know, Kira, who's like a size small and 5'10". I'm like, okay, well, that's not me. So yeah. <laughs> let me look to, right. you know, a couple of sizes up and see, you know, what this person looks like, yeah. who is, you know, a 1X, 2X, whatever it is, or anywhere in between. And I just wanted to say that I really appreciated that because, you know, when you go up or go down in sizing, any given piece of clothing can look so different based on someone's size. And I remember, you know, back in the day, however many years ago, when you would be looking at something and they only show like the XX small mm -hmm. or like the X small mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And you're like, okay, cool. So how is this going to look on someone who's a size large or who's a 1X or who's a 2X or who whatever it is? And you're just like, well, yeah. I guess we're just going to order it and maybe we're going to have to go back to the store, you know, in a couple, in like a week when it comes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they don't totally. show you the clothespin holding it in the back. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. In the back to get to get it to fit the way that they want it to fit. Yeah. I think like, I think one thing too is like a question that I have now that I, ha that we have someone in, in the know of things, I would love to hear why aren't more brands size inclusive and diverse because it feels like it would be a no-brainer like like by default like, yeah mm -hmm. by default when and I want to design clothing for the majority of the people that are out there and with women's sizing being the average woman is a size 16 why are we not designing all of our clothes for that size and then deviating down and deviating up based off of, you know, styles and sizing and whatever. I just don't understand. And I'm so curious to hear from someone who's who works in the industry can explain that a little bit. Yeah, I think it comes down to two things, uh, money and, you know, I think brand image as well. Mm. Um, you know, fashion has always historically been very size exclusive and they still are for the most part these days you know we really do see the majority of people as one body type um and i don't think they really have any intention to change i mean there's been so much talk about you know the tokenism 
and kind of performative nature of a lot of people's like inclusivity, right? On the runway or in their campaigns, there's just like one person <laughs> out of the 20 models that are walking, there's one. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it does take a lot of time, I think, for the mentality to change. Um, and I think, you know, what's helping, I think, because fashion is both reality, but also like you were saying, aspiration, right? It's like, oh, I want to be that person. Like, that's why I'm going to buy this thing because I want to look like her. I want to feel like her. Um, and so I think there, sometimes for like fashion executives or fashion companies, there might be like just a big disconnect in terms of like what they're doing. So I think, you know, brand image is one thing, but I also think that money comes into play, right? And so like for us investing in, it's, you know, inclusive sizing is a cost, an additional cost to our business. And we decided that it was worth it. But, you know, um, traditionally, like we design something in a size small and people like all fashion companies do this. And then you just say like, okay, add an inch to add an inch for the medium and add two inches, you know, to, to get to a large. But once you get to like the plus sizes, you can't just be like, okay, add like four inches everywhere. You know, it doesn't work that way because people's bodies are not that way. So for us, like, we have to redo all the patterns. You know, we have to pay for all the patterns to be redone. We have to fit it on a 1X model, which also costs money. We have to, you know, it takes more uh, fabric to make something in a 1X than it does in an extra small. And so sometimes the factories will also add on a little bit more cost because it costs them more to make a 3x garment than it does to make a extra small garment um and then you know you need to shoot it on a different model like all those things take money um and i think that's a big reason why you know at least like smaller to medium-sized brands sometimes want to shy away from that because it's just like kind of doing the work double um just to get the inclusive sizing and so you know, I think that's a big reason why some people like are not investing. Having said that, like big brands, I'm not sure why they wouldn't because, you know, they certainly have more resources than we do um, to be able to do all that stuff. And I think at that point, really, it's like a management choice not to. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe they just don't see the value or, or they've tried it and they've never seeing the results from it. Like, I don't, I can't speak for them, but you know, those are some of the very, I think, practical implications and practical considerations when people think about, you know, doing inclusive sizing. Well, I think one of the things that I'm taking from this is we need to stop making our design, <laughs> designs for an extra small. Yeah. Or like start, start from a large yeah, maybe start, start start from a large and then kind of go from there and yeah go like both ways yeah mm -hmm. and then go out both ways because it just I totally appreciate the thought and effort that would go into repatterning and everything like that because it's not just four more inches everywhere right mm -hmm. like then you'd be wearing like a potato sack yeah. you know and like yes. <laughs> You know, it's like it wouldn't be like the same, the same cut, the same style. It wouldn't hit exactly. in the same places. And like you and someone who's in a 6X deserves to have the same cut and style as mm -hmm. someone who has an extra small mm -hmm. so that they have the same type of vibe. They shouldn't have to wear something that's just four inches larger in their ankles. Yeah. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
Yeah, you know it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And then they're not going to want to buy those clothes. And it seems unfair to put that burden on those individuals. So I appreciate putting that in there, but it just feels like this whole thing that needs to be changed as like an industry as mm-hmm. a whole. And it takes smaller businesses like yours starting to do it to start to see that. And so that larger brands can get their heads out of their ass and start <laughs> setting the example for everybody yeah. and making it more cost effective. It would cost the factories less money if the larger businesses were doing it and mm-hmm. they would end up not trying. It's like a whole trickle down ripple yeah. effect that really just comes back to fat phobia. And I can't help it, but get very angry and feel like it's very unfair. But I, again, like I said, I appreciate that it takes, you know, pioneering to do. And I think that that's important. And I think it's awesome that you as a smaller brand are trying to forge that and fight mm-hmm. through it, even though there's a lot of cards stacked against you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And there really because is, there are. you know, <laughs> yeah. no, there is, it costs a lot of money to do that. And like, when, you know, pro- there's a reason why fast fashion is so thing. profitable mm-hmm. because it's, you know, like the cost of making garments are six can be really expensive, especially as yep. you're trying to get up to, to more, more luxurious and higher quality mm-hmm. items. So the amount of work that goes into it is a lot. And I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I think that it's just frustrating when we see something like, why can't this change? We see it in nutrition too. It's not just mm-hmm. fashion. Like yeah. every single week we're talking about diet culture, you know what I mean? And that lives yeah. in fashion too, right? Like, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it lives there as well. And I think like what you said earlier about how in some ways fashion is aspirational. And I think people take that as like part of like, I want to have this like appearance about myself I want to be able to wear this type of brand and have that say something about where I am in my life and the status and how I look and feel right and being able to have the quality of that and being able to say that and then people then take it when the industry is so narrow-minded and sizing is like okay so in order for me to get that I have to be smaller Mm -hmm. and it's like Mm -hmm. this like cul-de-sac that gets all intertwined (laughs) yeah the cul-de-sac of capitalism (laughs) (laughs) no it's so true though it's so true you know um and I think there's so much that's just been ingrained in us over decades and decades and decades of us talking about food and body and it's like it's gonna take decades for us to like unlearn some of those things Oh, yeah. I'm trying to raise my kids to be able to say to their kids, like, no, no, no. Uh-uh. And it's going to take them doing it for their kids and their kids mm-hmm. for their kids to finally undo this madness that we're all living in. And But I just, you know, I really appreciate the, the thought that you put in to making your clothing size inclusive, the intention that you put into it, and that you haven't compromised style. Yeah, as thank part you. of that. Yeah, and I think it's awesome. I love your clothes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> love them. So I wanted to take it back a little bit because you alluded to this earlier, but I'd love to dig more into it. Have you talked about how, you know, in the in the first couple of years of building the business, 
you didn't want to be the face of it because you were having your own body image stuff and you feel like it really kind of in some way held the brand back because you didn't want Mm -hmm. to be the face of it because of all of these ingrained years Mm -hmm. about food and body image and everything. So could you tell us how, you know, as the owner of a successful clothing business in the fashion industry, you were able to kind of either take a step back or maybe take a step forward and continue to work on your own body image stuff while you're in a space where it's probably reminding you every single day, hey, you're not the size that all of these other people are, but you still wanted to push forward for this brand. Yeah. I think for me, you know, there was definitely a personal evolution as well as a business evolution. I grew up, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Like I've grown up with my business, you know, and I've learned a lot of things about myself through the course of this business. So I think my body image issues, imposter syndrome issues were wrapped up in like, just like overall mindset, you know, like, I think when I started, I was like, a couple things like I this is my first company. So you know, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't really know, like, what's going <laughs> on? Like, And then you have all this, like, you know, image stuff. And then at the time, like, it back in 2014, 2015, you know, like, these female founders were starting to be very glorified, right? It was like Glossier, Outdoor Voices, like, all these girls that were like, coming and being on the cover of magazines and things like that. And I was just like, Oh, like, I don't really look like those girls, you know what I mean? And so there was a big like comparison um, game going on as well. And so for me, like I had to take a step back, I think to take a step forward. And so I started working with a coach, um, more like a mindset coach, a spiritual coach to kind of like get out of all the anxiety that I was feeling like body image was part of it, but it was also like, you know, showing up as your authentic self it was, you know, not putting all this pressure on that, like, okay, you're only making this much money this year. And this person is making three times as much as you, you know? Um, so it was a lot years and years of hard work, I think, to like break some of those things. And I've always been like, I'm not very big. I'm not very small. Like I'm kind of in the middle, but I also grew up in Asia and everybody's like this tiny in Asia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, their body, like, body issues and kind of body sensitivity is just as just as bad as it is here, I think. Um, And so I think it was just like, learning how to see how much value I hold in myself and also learning to love my body more. Right. Um, And that was a, a whole journey in terms of forgiving myself for anything that you know, I was kind of feeling about myself before learning to be very appreciative of the body that I have. Um, And then also learning to like, see that my differences are my superpowers versus like, my differences are my weaknesses, right. Um, And so, you know, only really in the last like, maybe one or two years, have I really felt comfortable, kind of like, getting out there a little bit more. Um, and I think it also has to do with like, just the change that we've been talking about in the industry as well. So I think, you know, when I entered this industry 10 years ago, it was just so different than like it is now. And I think, you know, people are seeing such a more diverse range of faces of bodies of 
everything um, that it's a more comfortable environment to be in these days. Not that it's perfect by any means because it's not, but it is a little bit more comfortable now than it was, I think, when I started. Well, when you think back to that time, it's yeah. like the that's the time like 2011 to 2014, 50 is the time. Wow, 2050. Where did that come from? 2011 <laughs> to like 2014 or 15 is the time that I most associate with like the Pinterest, like Fitspo and mm-hmm. all of that. 100%. Kind of stuff. I oh. think of Whole30 then. I think of my, like my own personal orthorexia being like next level. I think of me being obsessed with power yoga. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cycling, like soul cycle, like all of those times and like being like this whole idea about being like a Lululemon ambassador and like what that looked like, like what you looked like when you worked out mattered. Yeah. When it's before, like it was like wear your your boyfriend's ratty old t-shirt to the gym and no one cared. <laughs> yeah. And now it's yeah. like if I don't look like snatched and like looking awesome when I go, don't bother. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. was the was the whole concept in 2014. It's like you didn't, uh, yeah, you, it mattered what you looked like going to and from your workout. And I mm-hmm. think even now, like, it, there's still some of that, but it feels more fun and more body, like, uh, expressive than it was back then when it felt so body shaming. So I do feel like there's, like, a shift coming along, mm-hmm. but, it does, <laughs> but, it, but it does yeah. feel like it's, like, a slow snail. yeah. I feel like as our generation gets older and, you know, we become kind of like the adults in the population. Like, <laughs> I think that. that's scary. <laughs> I mean, as an almost 39 year old. Christina, you have I two know, kids. You're an adult. <laughs> I, have, I know. <laughs> almost 39 with two children. I know that I'm an adult, but I also am like, don't give me that title. Because I. Yeah. That... <laughs> no, I get it. I just turned 41 and I'm just like, I feel like I'm 25. Like, what am I, you know, like, yeah, it's like, isn't it still 2013? Like, what are you talking about? Totally. But I think like our generation places so much more importance in like, you know, having that diversity, having that variety um, and embracing that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. No, 100%. I think like our generation too is really trying to break generational things mm-hmm. that we've been carrying around for such a long time and like we're the the start of those cycle breakers yeah. and I think we will start to see it more and more as we become in more positions of authority like over time and so thank god thank god <laughs> thank god thank you know god. I do oh, think man. it'll take generations but like just thinking about you know our moms probably like how they were brought up like how they brought us up like with all the food stuff and the, oh my gosh it's like oh my gosh I mean crazy. so many layers my mom said to me just recently she's 78 she said to me recently she goes no one ever asked me how I felt growing up mm. ever like no one ever asked me about how I felt about something what my feelings were it was you're a child do as I say and get over it and I yeah. was like oh, you were actually really progressive as a parent to Mm. me (laughs) looking back. And you think about like all the things it's like, so Elodie's going to turn to me, my four, my five-year-old is going to be like, 
mom, get with the program. And I'm like, I have no idea how hard right. I fought for you to have this belief. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, but not really. <laughs> oh, well, Denise, this has been awesome having you on. Yeah, thank you so much. I love talking about this. And, you know, like, for Alala and for myself, like, it's all about, I think, doing our best to promote that beauty in diversity and inclusivity um, in in the ways that we can. We can't change the world, I don't think. And, you know, like, I, I wish, I hope for us to have the biggest impact that we can with what we do. Yeah. Well, you definitely are one piece of clothing at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. I mean, somebody's <laughs> got to start it, right? You got to start somewhere. But we just want to thank you for coming on the show. We had a great time. Um, and thank you for making such an amazing business. But please tell everybody where they can find you. We know we're coming up on kind of holiday time. So if you all have anything going on, definitely let us know. Yeah. So you can find us at alalastyle.com. Um, Black Friday is around the corner, so we have lots of promos going on. Check those out. Lots of beautiful, wonderful gear for everybody to buy. Um, and then if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Denise X Lee on IG and TikTok. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. <laughs>